Welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we interview those who have left today's critical social justice ideology, victim mentality, uh, the critical theories, and they had a radical transformation. And so right now as a human being, I'm going to give you a profile of somebody, and this needs to be shared with, with anybody you know that has a victim mindset, anybody who, who just looks at themselves as beaten up by the world and a victim. And I want you to uh, form a profile in your mind of who this person might be and where they've come from. So today on our show, we are going to be interviewing Latanya Epiphany Richardson. Uh, she has an online course with over 1,600 students who have taken her courses on creative writing, book publishing, social marketing, starting a business. She has a very successful podcast for such a time as this. Uh, she has the Epiphany Tanya YouTube channel. She's written over seven books. She has won awards. Some of her books are The Road to Breakthrough, The Truth About the Black Man's Exodus, Sister Issues, All the King's Daughter, and Misunderstood. She got her master's degree in mental health counseling from the University of Pennsylvania. She has a BA in psychology from Temple University. She's a former owl, and uh, she's a, currently a doctoral candidate uh, at Northwestern Christian University. Uh, she's a registered counselor, life coach, motivational speaker, and has dedicated her life to helping others. She has uh, counseled for years for families and, and children as an outpatient therapist. And so, Epiphany, welcome to the show, and uh, we're so glad you're here. And so I, I would like you to just share with our audience, who are you and where did you come from? I know We know you were raised in Philly, and... Uh, and, and just lay the foundation of, of who you are so our audience can get to know you better. Thanks, Michael, for having me. I appreciate that. Um, what, a, what a great introduction. Man, I could just hear that all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, as you mentioned, um, I did grow up in Philadelphia, born and raised. So, yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia, um, born and raised, and um, in the inner city in um you know, one of the things that I kind of struggle with when I tell my story is you don't want to be a stereotype, right? Because I think that's the the thinking that, you know, you're black, you're, <laughs> you're, you're poor, you grow up in the hood. And but, you know, it is what it is. That's that was my beginnings. That was my, um, you know, childhood as I grew up and um, to a single mother. Uh, she had five children, uh, all girls, no boys. And so that was a, that's a story in itself <laughs> um, to all that, you know, that produced, right? Um, single mother on welfare. And, you know, I didn't really realize until I was able to come out of that, you know, just what it was exactly, right? That my mother kind of, um, I guess you could say she, she planted some seeds that, unbeknowning to her that she was planting these seeds. She planted some good seeds. I can't say all that it was all bad, but um, God rest her soul. She's no longer with us, but um, she planted some seeds as far as the poverty mindset, the victimhood mindset and mentality. And I think kind of watching her, um, I picked up a lot of that early on. And, um, you know, she drank, she was abusive. You know, I had a really, really abusive childhood. And um, her and my, my grandmother, because at some point in time, I, you know, she sent me to live with my grandmother. Um, at some point in time, she put me out the house. I was a ward of the state. I got pregnant early. Um, just being in that environment, I don't think people really realize um, when you grow up in a certain environment, what it does to your mindset, right? Um, I know for her, she always called herself a rebel without a cause, right? Because... Um, she was highly intelligent. My mother was like super smart. And, um, you know, she had got she had a scholarship to like go to this really prestigious school. And she just decided that she was going to rebel from all of that. And she was going to throw it all away. And she was going to just drink and party and, um, you know, hang out with her friends. And I think it was just her rebellion against my grandmother, who also was very controlling and abusive that she, you know, took up this, you know, rebel without a cause persona and it ended up leaving her life in shambles. You know, like I said, single mother, five children on welfare, different dads. 
And um, just growing up in the area that I did, it's hard now to even, you know, like people that knew me back then and see me, they don't even recognize who I am because where I was mentally, like I said, that victimhood, um, what was me, um, just walking down the street with a sad look on my face. You know, I was the epitome of that Donald Goins book, The Black Girl Lost, you know, and just not having a direction and purpose, low self-esteem, didn't really like myself, allowed abuse into my life because, you know, that was those seeds were planted early on because when you're in that environment, there's violence everywhere. I've seen people get shot, um, all fights all the time. Like we didn't even know how to relate to each other unless it was a fight. Right. And I ran with a group of girls that they fought all the time. And so if you didn't fight, they were going to fight you. So <laughs> this was our this was our mentality. Violence, victim, victimhood, um, poverty, just go nowhere, do nothing. Right. As you get begin to get exposed to other things and you go outside of your neighborhood and you see like, OK, there's a life outside of all of this violence and, and poverty and victimhood. And there's something else. There's a bigger world out there. You don't have to just stay stuck in your environment, you know? And so I was just, I mean, it's, it's hard to even fathom now how lost I was, you know, how, you know, I would even get mad as I was telling you before, like I would get mad at people who didn't feel sorry for me. You know, if you, <laughs> if you yeah. aren't feeling sorry for me, then I was, I was upset with you, you know, it was like, okay, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that person because they, they won't feel sorry for me and all that I, I went through and, and, and my victimhood status. Right. Yeah, when, you and say, so, when you say you're a young mother, mm-hmm. was it, you were 14 when you became a mother, right? Yeah. I got pregnant young. Um, you know, and that was just, I feel like that was my looking for love in all the wrong places because when you just receive so much abuse, you know, I can't like I can count on my hands how many times I ever heard my mother say I love you, um, hug me, do any of those things. And so um, I wanted something else. You know, it's like when children don't receive that love, that care um, when they're young, they're going to they're going to search for it somewhere. They're going to look for it somewhere. And this this mm-hmm. idea of the broken family, the fatherless father absence, uh, absenthood and everything that happens with that. You know, you're going to it's going to produce something because it's a void. It's a vacuum. You know, God created us to to live in community and, and family. You know, he created the man and the woman to come together and have that family and have children. And 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 that child have that model of that father, that mother. And growing up in that single household with that single mother who was, you know, just in her own state of depression and her own PTSD and her own um, alcoholism, you know, it was, it just, it produced this void in this vacuum. I was empty. I was broken. I, I was walking in darkness. And so and in most cases, didn't even know it. I'm looking for love in all the wrong places, you know, and I would drink. I started drinking young. I was, you know, smoking marijuana, weed, getting high, you know, it was, it was all those things. And, you know, it was so bad. It got so bad to the point where I remember being about 16 or 17 and having, you know, I would have all these guy friends and they would carry guns and they would sell drugs. And I remember talking to one of my guy friends and I said, um, let me hold one of your guns. And he said, what do you want to hold my gun for? I said, um, I, I think I'm just going to have to start robbing people for a living because I don't know what else I'm, I'm going to do with my life. Right. Because at some point in time I had dropped out of school and I was just hanging out with like some of the guys on the, you know, on the corner and I was going to sell drugs and I was going to get high. And that was that was it. You know, I had with so many people in my neighborhood that had this mindset of we're just going to sell drugs. It's nothing else for us. Right. And somebody would say, well, if you sell drugs, you're going to get locked up. Well, I'm going to get locked up and I'm gonna come out and I'm going to sell more drugs. That was that was the mentality. You know, it was just like no aspirations, no, let me do something else with my life. Let me do better, you know? And so I I got it set in my mind that I was going to get a gun and I was going to rob people because what else was I going to do with my life? What else was I going to, you know? So just even having that kind of mindset, you know, again, it's it's even hard to like comprehend it now as I come, as I'm on the other side of it, it's like, wow, did you really think like that? Did you really have that kind of 
darkness in your life, you know, like even the way the way I dress, um, you know, just skimpy clothing, just, you know, all of those things. It was just like, you know, and even the music that we take in and listen to. I had friends that they would go and listen to Biggie Smalls and go and rob people. You know, that was that was they would feed themselves. Like, OK, I gotta get pumped up so I can go stick somebody up. Right. As they would call it. And so we don't even recognize like the things we let in our spirit and how it can shape and mold us or even our children. You know, they're like, oh, it's just music. Right. But we were listening. I was over there listening to little Kim trying to be like that, trying to emulate that dressing provocatively. I had um, I had girlfriends that, you know, they would get the guys would tell them, oh, um, go call the uh, the pizza man and order the pizza for us and then send them to this address over here. And then we're going to go over there and rob them. You know, it was it was all this kind of just just darkness, brokenness, just, you know, and then you had to feel sorry. For you bet. Even though I was in the wrong and I was doing these things and I was living this crazy lifestyle, you better feel sorry for me. You better, you know, do something for me. You know, uh, you should loan me some money. <laughs> you should, you know, all these things like not even recognizing where I was or what I was doing and how my life was just going down the tubes. And so that was just a really, really dark time in my life where, um, you know, I had this just no direction, no purpose, um, low self-esteem was just off the chain. Like I, I, I used to walk down the street with my head held down. Like I couldn't look people in the eye. You know, I couldn't, you know, it was no smiles. Like, like if you see me, like I said, you see me now, you know, it's like, okay, no, you, people don't believe me. They'd be like, I was quiet. That was another thing too. They'd be like, oh, the quiet girl, because I didn't have any self-esteem to speak up or say anything to anybody, but I would get mad if you didn't, if you didn't buy into my victimhood for sure, for sure. Now, so in your, in your book, one of uh, the transformative moments was you were mad at some guy and uh, you were going to go confront him. And, yeah. uh, and then, uh, you heard an inner voice saying, don't do it. And yeah, why don't you tell us about that story? That was fascinating. I was riveted reading that. Yeah. So one of, one of the things I did when I was um, out there in the world, as I call it, um, I used to work in a bar and I was so mad. And then I went to the, I went to the bar that night and um, I didn't know unbeknownst to me, it was like a guy that frequent the bar, this, um, this uh, cab driver guy. And, but you know, he's kind of like friends with everybody. And so this guy, um, I mean, he uh, he had told the cab driver guy to give me a ride, but I didn't know about that, that they had this conversation. He was saying, oh, give her a ride home. And so um, I'm leaving out at the end of the night, you know, the club's letting out, everybody's coming outside. And one of the bartenders, um, barmaids, uh, she was dating this guy that I used to date. And uh, he had said some really nasty things about me to her because you know how that is when a guy gets with a girl and then come to find out somebody she knows used to date him. So now he has to downplay that relationship to pretend like it was nothing. So he, he said, told, tells her I was a bum and he really just felt sorry for me and, and whatever, whatever he said. Right. And so I was I was ticked. I was mad. I was going to confront him. I was going to cuss him out. I was so upset. I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to, oh, wait till I see him. So when she told me that in the bar and then he was coming to pick her up at the end of the night, I was like, wait till I see him. I was, <laughs> I was preparing myself. Like, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to cuss him out. And so um, we get outside and, you know, I'm standing out there because I'm like, okay, well, how am I getting home now? Because my ride went and gave me a ride. And, you know, at that time of night, every, nothing's running back. And, you know, this is up in Philadelphia and Philly. So everything shuts down, you know, because of crime, they shut the city down at like around, I think back then it might've been like 10, it was somewhere between 10 and 12, everything was shut down. No public transportation would run hardly. It would be like a bus here and there. And then um, the cabs would be too scared to come to the area. <laughs> They're going to get robbed. So they were like, we're not coming there. So I was just kind of almost stranded, like, okay, well, how am I getting home? But I still, I, I got up there, but then I didn't have a way back. So I get outside and, and I'm about to go up to this guy when I see him get out to get the girl to pick her up. And I just hear this voice say, don't say anything to him. It was so strong. It was so powerful. I was just like, I was, I was stopped in my tracks because I turned around. I was trying to walk towards him. And that voice hit me like, don't say nothing to him. So loud and so powerful. 
And I was like, okay, I didn't understand it. I didn't really know what was happening. Why was I hearing that? And I was just like, okay. And then at the same time that I heard that, then the pe some people across the street that also were hanging out in the bar that knew me called my name from across the street and said, hey, you, you need a ride. So I go to cross the street and go over there to get in the car with them. And next thing I know, in the middle of the street, I hear gunshots. This guy that I was about to go up to and cuss out had pulled out a gun and shot the cab driver guy who my friend told to take me home. Shot him point blank range in the stomach instead while he was standing in the door of the club. I was like less than five feet away. And I, I we went over, everybody's screaming, crying. He jumps the guy who shot him that was my ex or that I used to date or whatever, jumps in his car with the girl who I guess she had accused this guy saying that he had stole some money from her. They jump in the car in his car and speed off. And this guy is bleeding on the side of the in the bar. And people are like screaming, crying, call the cops, 911. They get him some help or whatever. And so I end up getting going in the car with them and um, realize I left my bag in the bar. <laughs> so I had to go back and then the news cameras are there and the police tape. And it's 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 a crazy, crazy scene. But I, I'm like, this was the life I was living where I would just people would get shot right next to you. You know, it's just like no telling. And so if this guy's already looking for somebody to shoot. I'm going to go and cuss him out now. <laughs> you wow. know, it was it was just it was so many crazy situations like that, you know, people stealing cars, people robbing people, people just shooting somebody because they did something they didn't like, or they thought they suspected them. Not even that you have proof that this man robbed, stole your money. You're in a bar full of people. You don't know who stole your money, but you're going to say he stole your money. And then he gets shot, you know, and um, thank God that they were caught and uh, got, you know, arrested and everything for that. But I'm telling you this, this was, this was that inner city, you know, mentality, you know, and just. I'd like, mm -hmm. like you to talk about that inner voice that you could argue might have just saved your life. What was that? And, and it seemed like that was a big impetus to launch you into a, a whole new way of thinking and viewing the world in yourself. Yeah, that was definitely like one of the, you know, I, I call them breadcrumbs along the way that I yeah. had these encounters um, as I look back, I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that was something right there that impacted me, you know, you know, like, okay, maybe there is a God, maybe some, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's, what's happened, even though my life was such in shambles and I had so much pain, maybe there's something else out there, you know, and I would stop for a moment, but then I would just keep on going and going to my sin and my, my victimhood and, and my oppressed, my oppressed mindset. I was so oppressed. Um, but, you know, when I that night when I heard that voice, that was just like kind of the beginning stages. It was like I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know the voice was God at that time. But I later learned, you know, this this was God, you know, that God had, you know, had his hand on my life for a long time that I couldn't see. And I didn't know it. I didn't know that he was so there, so present and so real in my life, you know, but that was like probably one of the major wake up calls that that shooting that I was right there almost a part of, you know, was really like the catalyst that woke me up, you know, as a, not no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> that woke me up to, okay, what's going on with my life. Another aspect of that was there was a, a young lady that, you know, God had me cross paths with and um, her name was Maria and um, Maria used to just always come to my house and um, I lived back then. I lived with like a family friend. But I used to call her my aunt. You know, I talk about all of this in the book and misunderstood this, you know, a lot of the story, even though I couldn't fit everything that happened in that book. But I tried to, you know, give a good synopsis of that, you know, my life story there in that book and misunderstood. And then in the road to the break, there was kind of like the part two. But um, but yeah, Aunt Penny, as I call her, but she, you know, my Aunt Winnie was her actual name. Um, you know, she was a sweet old lady who decided to take me in. I guess she was one that did take to my victimhood, <laughs> my victimhood story, you know, of my mother put me out because I was 14 with the baby. And so my, my daughter ended up getting taken by the state because I was 14. She was born premature on a heart monitor. So she went into the system. And so I was just kind of this black girl lost, like I said, kind of roaming the streets and um, staying here and there wherever I could. And then, so they took me in this woman, um, that I 
end up calling my aunt Penny. It was like a family friend, and uh, her and her son, uh, Ian was he was grown at the time, but um, they they took me in, and so she would always let this lady Maria, this girl Maria, come in the house, and Maria would come up to my room. Like I would just be in my room. She would let anybody. She was just such a loving sweetheart, and she would just let anybody in. So just like I didn't even know I had guests, but they just show up in my bedroom. And so Maria would always be like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She would always be talking about Jesus. And I was just like, oh God, here we go. She's going <laughs> to preach to me again today. And so, <laughs> and, and so she just kept talking about Jesus. And one day she was telling me this story about how she was crying to God. She was so I was not crying. I was like, that's disgusting. But um, <laughs> I was not crying to Jesus. And I was like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> and so, and so as she was talking about this story about how she was crying out to God, because at this point, um, I was probably like in my tw- early 20s, I believe. Yeah, I think I was like 21, just turning 21 by now. And um, so she's talking about Jesus. She's in her 20s too, but she had got, she was married. And um, I guess they were living with her mom. And so she had all these problems with her mother and her husband and the husband drinking. And so she was like, I was just crying out to Jesus. It's not crying to Jesus. She kept talking about that. I was like, crying to Jesus. That that scenario, that story, that, that um, concept had never occurred to me. I had been crying uh, for a long time. I had been crying out. I had been, woe is me. But it never occurred to me I had somebody that actually cared about my cries. It never occurred to me that there was someone out there that would love me even in my sin, that would pick me up right where I was in the in the worst of uh, lifestyles, you know, because there's a lot of things that, you know, we're, we might not get into on this show that I was into, you know, just um, immorality. Um, but I tell you the socially acceptable things that I did. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm crying. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't. And she's saying this and she's talking about this. Now I'm intrigued. And now I want, I want to know more. Like, wait a minute, tell me about this Jesus that actually would care that I was crying. He actually cares about somebody like me, this black girl lost this, this, you know, um, jumping from man to man that uh, just wanted to be loved that looked for love in all the wrong places, that was willing to sell drugs for her boyfriend because she just wanted to be accepted, that would that would uh, carry hold one of her boyfriend's guns again so she could be accepted, that would that was abused and, and rejected and thrown out and kicked out in the street. Wait a minute, he's gonna care that I'm crying? Wait a minute, he's gonna care? He 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 loves me, me, me of all people, this dirty wretch. He loves me. He can save me. He can change me. What? No, this. Okay, I, I gotta know. So I gotta know more about this. I need to know. Like, who is this? Who is this man? Who is this Jesus that you can cry to, and he cares about your cries? I need to know him. I need to know what's going on. So that that was like the big spark right there. It was just like okay, because I'm crying and I, I'm just like I'm just looking for something, and I want someone, someone come and love me, someone show me any care because you know I had this alcoholic abusive mother you know and I would also you know she she never really got diagnosed but you know I can we can see that she had depression PTSD she would stay in her room you know she would neglect us we would just be in like the house would be in squalor you know sometimes we would eat sometimes we wouldn't eat sometimes we have dirty clothes sometimes there would be no lights sometimes you know all these things and now it's you telling me it's somebody that cares about this <laughs> if somebody actually cares okay so that was like my little spark, another spark there, another breadcrumb, another little something that was like, hmm. And so, you know, I just kept going on living my life. And, you know, one of the other things I'll say, my grandmother, for all her abusiveness, the one good thing that she gave me, and God rest her soul as well, was she was also pushing Jesus all the time. And it was hard for me to receive that because of her other parts of her personality, you know, the abusiveness that she had. But when I look back now, I even called her later, you know, before she passed. And I just said, I want to thank you. You know, like I was I didn't speak to her for years because of her abuse. But I said, the one good thing you did for me was you always told me about Christ. You always, you know, made us you forced us to go to church. You know, you talk about that drug that they put their kids on. She drug us to church. OK. And um, that was when I was really, really young. You know, I was like 10 years old. I talk about that misunderstood going to church with my grandmother. And so it was just these breadcrumbs along the way. That was one thing, like when I was young and then I ended up running away from her house because of her abuse. 
but not realizing that was probably the best place for me if I could have figured it out with her because she did have me in church and she did, you know, preach Jesus like she did. And that was the light that I needed. You know, sometimes as Christians, we do a disservice um, to people because of us and our stuff. Right. But God is good. God is the good one. So, you know, I really hate these stories that I hear of, well, you know, all the church, they're hypocrites and they're this and they're that. And they do this. I stopped going to church because of that, because church is just a hospital for a lot of broken people. And so they're imperfect and they're trying to get it right. And they're searching for Christ. And, you know, they don't and we don't always get it right all the time, you know, but God is still who he is. He's still a good God. So that was, you know, those are my beginning origins. And so this girl, Maria, sorry to jump around so much, but this girl, Maria, planting the seed about Jesus, listening to our cries, um, you know, so one day she came over and she said, put your hands in the air and just say, thank you, Lord. And I was like, okay, well, what, what do I have to lose? One, one of the other things I said about the Christian, their personality. So Maria had some stuff with her too. That was like <laughs> kind of off putting. She would tell me about Jesus one minute and the next minute she would talk about, she would fight me. So, <laughs> so, so it was hard to receive it. But this one day when she said, just put your hands in the air and say, thank you, Jesus. I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, what do I have to lose? I'm, I'm already like a wretch undone. I, you know, I had my daughter taken from me. Um, I was hurting over that. You know, I was disconnected from my family. My mother had put me on the street for having a daughter so young. Um, my family had disowned me. Um, I didn't have any money. I was trying to get welfare. I was doing immoral acts and immoral things to get money to just eat. So I was like, well, what do I have to lose? Let me just let me just try this Jesus out. Let me see what this is about. Let me. And she said, raise your hands. And so I put my hands up and she said, just say, thank you, Jesus. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. Close my eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I did that. Maybe I don't know how many times could have been like 20 times or whatever amount of times I just kept going. And I felt something. Bam. Something hit me. Something shifted in the room. Something. Everything changed. It was like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? My God, what was that? And I was like, okay, something happened, but I couldn't explain it. I couldn't really say what it was. I didn't know what happened. Somewhere along the line, I started to write in a prayer journal, right? Even during this time when I was like out there and, you know, I would cuss you out. And <laughs> if you cross me, if you, I would fight you, I would get into fights. I fought people. You know, like I said, I ran, ran with this group of girls. We would fight people. We jumped this man one time. It was all this craziness. And so somewhere along, I started writing in a prayer journal and I was just like, God, you know, I don't I'm, I'm into all these things and I don't even know how I'm going to make any money, how I'm gonna, how I'm going to take care of myself, how I'm going to eat, how I'm going to feel like because, you know, my Aunt Winnie, she was she was nice and good, but, you know, she was on a fixed income. So sometimes I wouldn't even always have food. And um, I'm just I'm just sitting up here writing in a prayer journal after this encounter that I had. It was just like, OK, I just went on, kept living my life. But, you know, I didn't know that. God was in, in the midst working it out. And so I started writing in a prayer journal. I was just telling, I would just be so honest and raw with God. Like, God, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is the guy I'm messing with. <laughs> this is this is what I'm into. I would just talk to God. Like, you know, I'm talking to you right now. And, um, you know, it was this one night because another part of the story that I didn't really get into was my older sister. So I had four sisters. Um, one of them passed away. God rest her soul. I've had a lot of losses. Of family members and different things. But um, my my other older sister, she was another breadcrumb that would always preach Jesus. One of the problems I had with her was it was too much of a pie in the sky type of preaching for me, right? Because I had been in the streets, right? I needed something more oomph. And she would just be like, well, Jesus loves you and everything's great. And if you just, your life will just be changed. And I would just roll my eyes up in my head because I couldn't relate to what she was saying. Sure. But then maybe that's why God sent Maria, who was like, I'll fight you, but here's Jesus. Right? <laughs> so uh, I don't know how, you know, how he did it. But, um, but, <laughs> but this, uh, this idea of, um, you know, Jesus being real and me being able to talk to God, you know, I just started doing that, but I really didn't have any experience. I was really still out there in the world. I was really doing my thing, smoking my weed, drinking my drinks, whatever I was doing. I would run to the bar. I would, you know, I would have these friends. They would give me weed, whatever. And I was just trying to escape. And um, so I'm writing in this prayer journal, though, at the same time. And then one night, my sister, 
who was the one that was pie in the sky and Jesus and oh, everything is great. She got attacked and she was going through a very dark time. She was being attacked spiritually. She was in spiritual warfare. And she was saying, because my sister was one that she took care of the family when my mother, you know, couldn't work because she was just wrapped up in alcoholism, just on welfare. My sister like tried to raise up and try to raise us, like, you know, take care of us when she, we were young, try to make sure we went to school, make sure we were fed, our hair was done. You know, she was just a teenager herself, but she was like jumping, pushed into that mother role. And, you know, so she had a lot on her where, you know, she, I, I say now I tell her, you know, you had a savior complex. You tried to save us, but that's a whole nother story for another day. But uh, so she calls me and she says, I'm having these visions where I want to go kill the whole family. I'm going to just go and burn the whole house down um, because everybody had took from her so much. She did so much for the family. You know, my mother included just, you know, kind of drained her. And then they kind of turned on her. My younger sister, I guess she was trying to like mess with her boyfriend or something happened there. It was some, and they got into an argument and she called her out her name. And she's like, I raised you, I changed your diapers. And you want to call me the B word? Okay, no. And so she was like, I, I, I got a plan in my mind. I'm going to take some, some gasoline. I'm going to douse the house. I'm going to set it on fire with all them in it. Holy and shit. all of a sudden, this black girl lost. Ooh, I'm trying not to cry now too. This black girl lost that didn't know the Lord like that, other than, you know, the little times I had with my grandmother in church when I was like 10 years old. Now she tells me, um, yeah, I'm in this dark place. I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to set the house on fire. And she said, you know, um, my best friend and her mother were here earlier and they were reading the Bible to me. You know, my favorite scripture in Ephesians, they were reading it, but they left and now you know, all the thoughts are coming back. I'm, I think I'm going to go and I'm going to kill everybody, right? She's she's dead serious, right? I never heard my sister like this before. And she's, she's in, my sister's very stubborn too. So it's like, you're not talking her out of anything. She wants to do something. This is a stubborn-minded woman. And um, all of a sudden I tell her, this person that don't, don't read the Bible myself, you know, the most I had encounter I had was when my other older sister passed mm -hmm. away. Um, she was really young, like 27. She had MS and she ended up passing away. When we went to our house to clean everything out, I got her Bible. And that was like something for me to hold on to because she had started going to church and, you know, trying to get her, get her life right and turn her life around. And so I just held on to that Bible, like a keepsake, you know, like, oh, I know this was her Bible and she loved it. I'm going to hold on to this to be close to her, but I didn't read the Bible. I just put it in the drawer, like, uh, like a decoration or a or ornament I was going to keep like a memento, you know, like this is my sister Bible and I don't have her anymore. I'm going to have this. So I have that Bible sitting over in the drawer and I don't read it. And then my sister is telling me she's going to kill the rest of my family. And I said, I said, what scripture was, were they reading? This is the cussing, smoking, drinking black girl laws. What scriptures were they reading? And she tells me it's like Ephesians two or three or four or whatever it was. I couldn't remember. This is so many years ago. Now it's over 20 years. And I said, why don't you go read it right now? And now I'm telling, and now as I'm talking to her, you know, people might think you're crazy and different things like that. When you say stuff like that, you say you hear from God, but I promise you it was not me talking. Like it was something else that came in me and over my body maybe even similar to that experience when I was saying, thank you, Jesus, with Maria, something came over me and was speaking through me. And I said, why don't you go get that scripture and read that scripture now? Wow. And she said, she was crying and everything. And she said, okay, I will. I'm going to go read it now. And so she, we hang up the phone and I'm sitting there on my bed. Who Jesus have mercy. God, when I have to tell this testimony, when I'm sitting on my bed and I hear God's voice so clear, say, now you go read it. Oof. Now you go read it. And so I'm just stuck on stupid. Like, okay, I, where do I have a Bible? What, how do I read it? Because I forget I had this Bible from however many months back when my other sister had passed away. I forget I had that Bible. And so it's like he brings it to my mind, like light bulb. Oh, the Bible in the drawer. So I go over there and I get the Bible out the drawer and I sit on my bed and I open it. And I'm trying to figure out the scripture because I can't remember at that moment what scripture she said as far as Ephesians. I knew it was Ephesians 2 or I'm like, was it Ephesians 2? Was it 3 or was it 4? I couldn't remember. So I said, okay, I'm just going to read them all. I'm going to start with 2. So I open up 2, Ephesians 2, and I try to start reading. Now, mind you, 
even though I dropped out of school, I could still read, okay? <laughs> I was still literate, right? You know, I could sit up there and, you know, read anything else. I knew all my ABCs. So when I say this, I don't want anybody like, oh, she couldn't read. I could <laughs> read. At this point, I could read everything. I could write my name. I had, I think by then, um, even I think I went at least to the 10th grade and dropped out. And in, in some cases was successfully in the 10th grade as far as like some years I did have good grades, some years it didn't. So I try to read it, but the words start jumping off the page and it looked like hieroglyphic. Like I couldn't understand what I was reading. All of a sudden, like the words started moving and jumping off the page. See, people don't believe that this type of stuff is real and it happens, but it does because it happened to me. I'm a living testimony. The, the words started moving and it, they were lit. They looked literally like hieroglyphic letters. Wow. And then I, I, I got, I was just like in a, in a daze or a trance at that moment, because I was like, what's happening right now. And then the next thing I know, I hear the Lord say, stop what you're doing and follow me. Stop what you're doing. So he's telling me all my immoral lifestyle, all my, you know, all the illegal activity, all the, <laughs> All the all the darkness, all the stuff. Stop what you're doing and follow me. But God, I, I, I how am I going to make money? What am I going to do? I need to be able to survive. I need to eat. He said, and clear as day, like I'm talking to you. He said, you like working with children. I want you to go to the phone book and open up the phone book and whatever you land on as far as child care. I want you to call that place. So I, I had nothing to lose at this point. What did I have to lose? Okay. I go and I, I open up the phone book and I land on this uh, childcare place and I call them and I say, are you guys hiring? And they say, well, we're not hiring, but we can give you the number to the place where we get all our people. It's a training program. Mind you, I had dropped out of school. I go, I call the place, the training program. The lady has the same last name as me. So that's another sign. And she said, the program already started, but we're going to make an exception and let you in. I go through this program and get trained as a childcare aide. And this was like the first thing I had actually completed because I had dropped out of school. Everything I was starting, I would fail. I would drop out and I would give up. I go through this program, have a graduation and finally realize like, okay, I can actually finish something. I can actually do something. And all the while God is leading me and I'm talking to him and I'm praying more. And, you know, I'm still struggling because, you know, at that point, like uh, I was struggling with the weed, struggling with the drinking, but I was still talking to God and I was praying. And I remember getting the CC Winans tape and there was tapes back then. Don't judge me. <laughs> it was tapes back then. And I get this uh, CC Winans tape and I'm playing it and I'm just laying on my floor and I would just cry out to God and I would just let that wash over me. You know, she had this song alone in his presence and I would just alone in his presence, just cry and just worship and just lay on the floor and just get be into God. And oh my goodness, that time in my life was just so magnificent and awesome. And eventually God led me to a church and I got planted there and I was there for like 10 years, but it took a while before I realized, like I knew I had to go to church, but it took a while for me to realize, okay, this is something I really, really need to have as a part of my life. Because once I got in that church, so many things broke off my life. That powerful ministry that was back in Philadelphia called Abiding Truth Ministries, shout out to Pastor Green. That church changed my life. God used that church in a powerful way. This is somebody that did not think I could ever get up out of the bed and not have sex. I ended up going into celibacy for 18 years after I got into this church because every a lot of the women in, in that church were all walking in celibacy. The pastor's daughter was a virgin. She was like 23. We were around the same age at that time. She's a virgin. Um, one of the other elders, she was saved. She was celibate for like seven years. Another elder, she had been celibate for seven years before she met her husband. They, this was all their testimony that they were celibate or they were virgins. And so God put me smack dab in the middle of that church of these godly Proverbs 31 women where I was up here. Remember, I was dressing like a hoochie mama, I exposed my, I would, you know, wear my breast out. Oh, you know how they dress today. Right. I was dressing like that. I was walking around like I had mm -hmm. to, I had to try to turn a man's eye. I would, you know, not to like toot my own horn, but I would crash cars back in the day. Okay. <laughs> I'd be walking down the street oh, and these guys it. would be looking. And I mean, cause I would just have it all, you know, all hanging out with the little uh, short shorts with the, the, uh, 
the Daisy Dukes or whatever they called them back in the day. And, um, you know, but I go into this church where they like, we're, we're, we're celibate, you know, we're covered, still looking nice and presentable. I don't know if you can see how I look today, but still looking, you know, fashionable, looking nice, looking beautiful. But now we can do it in a classy way. We can, we can cover ourselves up. We can have class and style. Totally revolutionary, totally changed my life because, you know, now to see men actually have respect for me, to see men now that when they come around me, they say, oh, excuse me, when they say a cuss word, to see men now that used to be like, hey, baby, and, and, and crashing a car or, or just, you know, trying to grab my, my behind because, you know, back in Philly, they had something called the Greek picnic. And I remember walking along in the Greek picnic, my little short shirt, my little see-through shirt. So you go right. from, uh, you know, being able to read, uh, but not <laughs> drop out, but now you're, you're in a doctoral program. You got a master's degree. Mm, your life has yeah. been, I mean, I am just stunned by this interview yeah. listening to your, I yeah. am stunned. Yeah. And yeah. Cause people could put so high school dropout. Remember high yeah. school dropout. I'll go back and I get my GED. And wow. um, dropped out in the 10th grade. And like after that was after repeating it three times. But I, I didn't know back then. I thought I was dumb. But I didn't know. It wasn't that I was dumb. It was the, the environment that I was in. Right. And when you're when you're in a, a situation where you have a mother that she's very unstable, we would be moving around. We'd be in shelters. We would be in rooming houses. She was drunk all the time. She was getting put out of places. We would be on the streets. You have that kind of upbringing. You're not going to be able to focus in school. You know, so I didn't realize until later after God delivered me and like transformed my mind and took all the shackles off that, oh, I can actually think and I can actually have critical thinking and I can study and I can re I can actually pass my test and go back to school. And, you know, I remember him even speaking that to me. He said, I want you to go back to school. And I set up, I remember that. I remember that night I set up straight in my bed. I was like, what? He was like, go back to school. And I went back and um, I had to start at the bottom. You know, I had like remedial classes in a community college. And then I just once I latched on to that and realized that I had God on my side that was going to, you know, mm. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was my favorite scripture going through school and college. And um, I went from I had like straight F's at one point in time in high school. I went from that to I had like a 3.7 GPA in the University of Penn. Um, at, in that master's program. So it's just, it's just unbelievable to me at times. I'm just like, wow, did I really go through all of this? Did I really? <laughs> and, you know, now to have gone through all that and to be able to have God change my life around and be able to help other people in counseling now to have people come and, and, and tell me their stories and, and tell me that I changed their life, that I saved their child's life. And, you know, it's just, it's been exhilarating. Like this transformation story is just, it's mind blowing at times, you know, it doesn't end there. That was my spiritual transformation. Um, in 2020, I went through a political transformation because I think, you know, there's 90% of the black community that votes Democrat, right? And we stay stuck in this poverty mindset, not realize, I didn't realize all this time that my mother, even this generational poverty and these curses that a lot of that was propagated by the Democratic Party and that uh, and what the oppression that they package and sell us, that they sell us that we're victims, that they sell us that the white man is holding us down and oppressing us. Right. And so I didn't even realize it at that time, you know, even after I got saved spiritually, I was still in a lot of ignorance when it came to political things. And I think sometimes people need to go through two awakenings. You need that spiritual awakening with Jesus Christ, but you also need to take the political part to Jesus so he can wake you up politically too. Because when I began to pray in the political realm, that's when God began to open my eyes about what was happening with this whole BLM, false wizard, uh, buy large mansions. It should be the, the <laughs> acronym instead of BLM. Instead of Black Lives Matter, it's buy large mansions. It's a... Uh, you know, it's, I had this whole acronym that I posted on my <laughs> on my social media, on my Twitter. It's like breaking down the BLM, what that stands for. But, you know, they packaged us this oppression. And so I remember when 2020 happened and Floyd happened, I was I was like, OK, should I be doing more? Am I supposed to am I supposed to go in March? And, you know, I thought I was supposed to get out in the street and do all this stuff. And then God showed me it was like, no. And he led me to these different Christian conservative channels 
And this one woman had this a video. She, it was called um, "I'm I'm a Christian before I'm black." And when I watched that, that was another transformation that took place in my life that I realized that it's God first, not a skin color, and that this division uh, the that they're selling us right now that has everybody. You know, we have made such strides. One of the things that I was able to experience that was semi-positive in my childhood was we were part of the desegregation program, me and my younger sisters. And so we would get bussed out to the, um, the uh, what is it, the suburb areas and the white schools, quote unquote white schools, and uh, get an education. So I was in elementary school doing that, but I would get on the school bus, right? And all the black kids in my community would make fun of us for getting on the school bus, for going to get an education. And they would say, oh, you're getting on the big yellow cheese bus and you know, all this stuff. But it was something there that was even a seed planted to like mm -hmm. see something else, to see another life, to see how other people live that was, you know, like more affluent. Right. And so that, that exposed me to that. And so we had made such strides in America as far as racial uh, harmony goes, right? There are so many white Americans that bought into Dr. King's dream and said, yes, I should not judge somebody by the color of their skin. It should be the content of their character. And I know this to be true because they're all on my Twitter feed and I love them so much. Shout out to all my Twitter followers. <laughs> and they were, you know, they were embracing, you know, African-Americans, even in spite of things that are you know, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to just be so blunt that are stupid, like affirmative action. I don't want any affirmative action because I worked hard, blood, sweat, and tears to get to where I am. I don't want somebody to think that I got a handout to get there. I studied for hours at night to get my degree. I would be up till two and three a.m. in the morning studying. And now you're gonna just say, Oh, here's a here's a ticket to get in. And so now I have people questioning me whether or not I got in here through my hard work or through an affirmative action? No, thank you. So it's a lot of things that in the black community we still have yet to wake up from because 90% of blacks are still voting Democrat, even though these are the policies that keep us in this oppressed mindset that kept me in a neighborhood in schools that were failing, that where I, you know, I was ignorant to so many things, not one civics class in that in that in those schools to even teach me anything about politics, to know what I was voting for, to know what was going on in the political realm and spectrum, to know how these people were packaging my oppression to keep me right in that hood mentality robbing somebody. That's what would have made them happy. And now I recognize and realize the reason why they did what they did in 2020, burn these buildings to the ground, destroyed these people's lives, because now they can use and galvanize the black face to get their dirty work done. You got this Alvin Bragg guy whose political prosecution of a United States president, right? Because they're going to use the black face now because they had to burn everything down and make everybody fearful of a black person. So you can't even say nothing even when a black person is doing something wrong. You can't even say nothing when they robbing you blind. You got to be like, okay, here you go. Here's your reparations. It's ridiculous. Some of us have worked too hard to come out of poverty to now go all the way backwards to segregation where they talk about separate spaces and places. It's ridiculous. We worked too hard for this. And now it's, it's more division than ever because all those people that bought into King's dream, they were robbed. They had saw buildings burning. Now that if they weren't racist, they're racist now. I had a lot of friends of every color, nationality and creed in my lifetime and now Ask me if I talk to any of them now because they're so scared. They don't even, they walk on A-shells. They're so scared what they're going to say to a black person before they get called a racist. And these white liberals that have pushed and promoted this mess because in the hood, we always had people that was like, the white man is keeping me down. I'm so oppressed. But they didn't have a voice or a platform. And then here comes Obama welcoming BLM into the White House. And then here comes all this oppression, all this nonsense, it's all lies. It's all Marxist lies right now. So yeah, what, I went off into the political realm here. What, what, is, <laughs> what is your view on uh, the concept of uh, systemic oppression or systemic well, racism? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There, there may have been a time when that existed, but there is no, what law is in place that prevents me from doing anything that you do. 
what law is in place that holds me back that says as a black woman, I can't get a job or I can't um, go into a restaurant or I can't, you know, any do anything that I can't uh, excel in the in the marketplace. What, what is there? I was actually more prosperous under President Trump than these last past four years. I mean, there's people in my family that can't even hold a job now. They're getting let go of every job because the businesses are so scared that they take somebody on and then they're they're looking at their bottom line and then they have to let the person go immediately because of inflation and all this other stuff. So there's people right now that can't even hold jobs because of the current state and economy. But you think that President Trump is a racist. Okay, I'll let you have that. You think he's a racist, but I don't understand why he wasn't a racist before he decided to run as a Republican. Why was he surrounded by black people, loved by black people. He gave loans, forgivable loans to all these black people. He supported he, Jesse Jackson. He, as, th that's as what I'm talking about. Jesse Jackson. You see pictures of him with um, uh, Al Sharpton, all these people that as soon as he went to the Republican side, now he's supposed to be a racist. It's lies. It's just something to keep us in a certain space and place and never come out of that. You know, he had so many plans with the, uh, what is it? The platinum plan that he was going to give opportunities, not even a handout. To me, that's an opportunity because if, if you get money for a business, you still got to make the business work and run. You still got to have some, some um, wherewithal to make the business successful. So I don't see that as a handout. A lot of people get small business loans all the time. So, you know, that plan, it was, you know, they're going to get him out of there because they don't want to see you liberated. They're going to tell you that he's a racist. And, you, you know, if you just sit up there feeding on CNN, you're going to believe it. But you got to do the research for yourself. And I started opening my eyes and doing my own research and my own homework. I learned the truth. I learned the truth about what was really going on. And once your eyes is open, you don't go back. You, you can't go back to that. And you start thinking for yourself. It's, it's, it's over from there. And you so, know, you know, go ahead. It, it took a, a, a few months for us to, for you to come on the show because you're in such high demand. And I'm very appreciative <laughs> that you made the time. Uh, but one of the things that I what really intrigued me is when I came across you, you had written a book, uh, The Truth About the Black Man's Exodus, and it, mm -hmm. it really impacted me. I actually read that book before reaching out to you. Uh, it, it's poetic. And uh, I was wondering, I think it might be timely as an African-American woman who's who's lived in the ghetto, who's seen the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Uh, what would be your your message uh, in regards to that book for the, the the black community? My message with regards to that book would definitely be come back to God because a lot you know what our ancestors, our our grandmothers, mothers, great grandmothers, the thing that brought them out of slavery, the thing that brought them out of oppression to where as though you can hear a person like uh, Jesse Lee Peterson talk about how people were doing better and when he was growing up in like 1920, whatever time it was, that people were actually, back, black families were actually doing better with two parent households and they stuck together and it was community and they built things. That was Jesus. It was Jesus, even though people try to sell it as that's the white man's religion. God is not a color. God is not, you know, he says every nation, every kindred, every tongue. When you get to heaven, if you can make it there, you're going to be very disappointed that you thought, oh, it was about a color of a skin because it's going to be every single color there. God created us all. And so that book, I would say, come back to God and work on yourself, work within yourself. You know, a lot of times in this in this victim mentality and this uh, now you got the trans movement, you got all these things. A lot of times it's let me change the world. Let me change everybody else but I don't have to look within myself and do anything within me. Let me make you say my pronouns. Let me make you pay me reparations. Let me point out everywhere else to everybody else. Come back to God and look within yourself. One of the things that God had to show me along the way, it was like, it wasn't anybody else. Cause I blamed everybody for my problems. It was everybody else's fault that I was in the situation I was in. And some of that, yeah, maybe I could give some of that to my parents and my upbringing. But it wasn't at some point in time, you get to a certain age, you can't blame anybody anymore. Now it's up to you to do something about your situation. Now it's up to you to get up out of that. You know, as Jesus told the man, take up your bed and walk. It's up to you to take up your bed and walk at a certain point. You can't keep blaming the system and the man and systemic. It's, what's systemic racism? I have 
almost two master's degrees, working on a PhD. I have several books. I have businesses. It's nothing holding you back. It's nothing holding me back. Work on yourself. Therapy is underrated. And I understand when they, you know, they feel like that's a white man's thing, that they can't relate to them. Well, guess what? In the therapy profession, you have all races and all colors there too. So go find you if, you, if you feel as though you have to have a black person to talk to, go find a black therapist, whatever you need to do, but work within yourself and work on yourself. Ask God to come in. And that's going to get us out of this rut that we're in right now. Because when you turn on the television, this is not, this is not anything that has to do with King's dream. This is not anything. This is embarrassing. This is shameful that you're robbing stores, that you're looting, you're tearing down. People that were not racist are now returning racist. Now people are starting to hate us because you have somebody like me that's successful. And now I get to experience some of these racist acts that I hadn't experienced that before. I hadn't experienced the, to the level that it is now. You might have had something here and there. You know, you're always going to have idiots out there that, that, you know, think a certain way. But now where it's at now, because people that had come so far in their understanding of we're all equal. Now they're like, they see all this stuff. They see you robbing in, 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 in Chicago. These teens just run out in the street and they're looting and, and hitting people and fighting people and jumping people. They see that. How is that producing anything but more hate? How is that producing anything? We're never going to come together ever again. But some of them are happy with that. They're like, oh, let's, yeah, let's depart. Let's separate from each other. Well, guess what? I don't know how you're not going to get into heaven because God is love and God is about everybody, every color, every race, every creed. Mm. This is lies. Wake up from the lies. Let this be snapped off your mind. Let the, the enemy is the one that comes and brings darkness onto people's mind, blinds people's minds. You have to ask God to show you the truth. Yeah, I, so I that like, that would be my message. Yeah, I like what you're saying. It, it wouldn't apply just to the black community, the white community, and any community uh, with this dialectical approach of the oppressor oppressed, whether it's uh, critical mm -hmm. race theory, critical queer theory, critical feminism, and the, the same yeah. uh, garbage mm -hmm. theor theories that need to be tested. Yeah. Every one of them focuses on first the sins of others, how I've been victimized, mm. I uh, the the oppressor has yeah. got me, and they focus on the sins of others, breeds resentment. And if you're like, like what you were saying about your testimony about becoming a Christian, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, the very I'm, red letters of Jesus. Do not look at the, at the, at the speck in your brother's eye, but look at the log in your own eye. Mm -hmm. And so I think yeah. just getting back to basics uh, for anyone who, who is a Christian faith or thinking about God, what about me? How, what, yeah. Where am I with God? Yeah. God yeah. search me and try me and test me. Know my yeah. ways. Is there anything wicked about me? Look mm -hmm. internally for, first about yes. how you yourself are not measuring up, how you yourself yeah. have fallen. And then mm -hmm. like you receive this powerful encounter yeah. by God because God loves people and yes. he wants he to heal and redeem. Mm -hmm. And then when, when we receive God's forgiveness, not condemnation for our sin, but mm -hmm. I love you and I died for you. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I have a path forward yeah. for you. And when we receive that, it's a powerful thing to transform us. And then we can look at the, at the, the speck in the brother, brother's eye, but we have to yeah, first what, look internally before we yeah, look externally. Amen. What did, uh, what did God say to Adam? He said, Adam, where are you? He didn't yeah. say, Adam, where's your oppressor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adam had to look within Adam's self. Okay. That's, right. That's how Adam had to get free. He had to look within where he was at the time. Where are you? So you can look within yourself. That's the question that God is asking all of us. Where are you? Where are you? Who are you? Yeah. And, and a good question to ask is, why am I here? You know, because we all have a purpose to fulfill. God put us on this earth for a reason. And you can sit up here, these atheists and these people that's you know, um, the liberals that want to push yeah. God out of everything. Let's see how far you get. You, you know, in a sense, you know, I just did a video the other day and I said that you got what you wanted because look at the lawlessness, look at the hatred, look at the baby killing murders. You got people out here that's chanting in the street they want abortions now you know you got just so much wickedness that's running rampant because you pushed god systematically out you can't you're not supposed to say him in schools you're not supposed to do this you can't talk about jesus well guess what jesus is the only hope that you have left here jesus is the only one that's going to set you free so you can push him out because that's what they did in the bible some of them told jesus to leave their town when he cast out the devils and went into the pigs and they lost their money he said they say get out of our town but guess what you're not going to have anything good. There's not going to be any light. You're not going to have prosperity. You're not, you know, 
just get prepared for the pain, for the um, for the famine, for all the things that are coming. Because without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no light. So just be prepared when you want to keep voting for this. You know, and I, I hate to reduce it to a blue and a red, but the Democratic Party has embraced evil. They have embraced the enemy. They have embraced darkness. All that they push and stand for is wickedness. You're going to tell a woman that she can kill a baby all the way up until the baby is born. In some, in some cases, they want to even kill the baby outside of the mother's womb when it's, when it's born alive. That's why Trump, President Trump, that was one of the things he did when he was in office. He made the born alive bill that forced the doctors to have to give the baby life sustaining support when they failed in the abortion. But no, they said, let's let's just leave that baby on the side and let them slowly die. If we have the abortion, it, it doesn't it's not successful. But this is the wickedness and the debauchery that you have because you don't want God in your life. But God is the only one that's able to set free, break chains, give you hope give you a hope in a future. He said, I have a plan for you to give you an expected end. He said, my plans of peace. It's not of evil to give you that expected end. So you, you can choose what you want. He says, choose now this day who you'll serve. You can choose what you want. You can choose to be an atheist. You can choose to walk in darkness. You can choose to be a liberal and, 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 and be uh, bowing down to the climate change God. Or you can choose Christ who's going to liberate you and set you free. He pull, pulled me up out of a pit. I was in so much darkness, so much stuff I didn't, you know, again, I can't tell the whole story. I was standing on a bridge one night and back in that dark place and I was ready. I was done. I was like, I too much pain, too much hurt. I'm, I'm done. I, I had it all figured out that I was going to jump over this bridge into the abyss. And God stopped me in my tracks and didn't allow that to happen. But there is no light without Christ. And until Jesus reigns in the brain, ain't nothing going to change. So <laughs> like Burger King, have it your way. But if, if you're watching this podcast and you've been impacted by this, I want you to hear me. If you have a victim mindset, if you've lived a victim mindset and not a victorious mindset, it doesn't matter where you've been, what, what you've gone through. Uh, Jesus is there. Give him your snotty tears and all. And just like <laughs> yes, Epiphany raised her hand and just began thanking God with the yes. undeveloped theology, mm. she began to call out to God. And the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Amen. So you, Hallelujah. You can call in your victim mindset, in your Amen. oppressed mindset, in the midst of your darkest hour, you can begin Amen. to call. And Ooh. he'll love you and he'll respond. Yes, so, Lord. So my dear sister, I want to give you the last word, the last word of exhortation, how people can follow you. And I just really thank you. I wish you were right here. I'd hug you. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you're just two hours away from me. Maybe we can have lunch sometime. <laughs> and it can be oh, yeah, that's, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. you got to You got to bring me back. Like I said, part two. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's it's really hard because, you know, Christ is something he's someone who you have to experience him for yourself. And so, you know, I can give you this exhortation and I can say, you know, choose Christ. You know, he, it says he puts before you life and death, blessing and curses, choose. And I can just encourage you to just choose God. Just say yes. You know, that could be your first step just to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. And you could talk to him just like I'm talking to you now. Like we had this conversation today. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Sometimes we make it so complicated and complex, but it's really easy and simple. Just like that. Just like I was in that room and I just raised my hands. Yeah. And uh, another thing that happened, you know, I got married, you know. So even though I was this this person that was like, I didn't think it was any hope for me. Like, who, what man is ever going to want me with my past and everything that I had been through and what I'd done? And, you know, but even that was another miracle story. But what I'll say to you is, mm -hmm. you know, just say yes to God. Just say yes to him. Give him a chance. Let him into your heart. Let him into your life. He will listen when you cry. He will he will hear your your prayers. He will answer. He will come to your rescue. So that's that's the message I want to leave with people that Christ is our only hope. And, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, you know, I know it's a cliche. Some people say, oh, we've been saying we're living in the last days. But trust me, you can't tell that by now <laughs> with all that's going on. Turn on your news and tell me that this is not last day stuff. Yeah. So, you know, but anyway, you can find me on 
I will go overboard on my political, my, my husband calls it political crack. Because <laughs> I'm always talking about politics on my Twitter. Um, you can find me anywhere. All social media is at Epiphany Tanya. Um, Twitter, Instagram. I'm not as active on my Instagram anymore. I need to get back to that because I'm mostly certain platforms is mostly um scripture you know like my facebook i just do post daily scripture and word it's always something about god i have my courses i have my businesses publishing um i have courses that you can do with me on udemy a lot of things for my counseling is on udemy uh, counseling courses how to learn how to do different therapies yeah a lot going on a lot going on god has um, really blessed my life to do a lot of different Wonderful you got things. lots of books written that are wonderful. Yes. So seven, seven books, uh, misunderstood sister issues. You named them in the beginning. So yeah, you could check those out. Everything can be found on my link tree. Um, so that's link tree, L I N K dot. Oh, I'm sorry. L I N K T R dot E E forward slash epiphany Tanya. So all my businesses, everything I'm doing is on my link tree and you can, um, you can connect with me there if you want as well. So I really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And th thank you for your generosity of your time and your vulnerability. And, you know, this is just such an encouragement. If there's people in your life that is, are just lost or people that are just so far away that you think there's no hope, mm -hmm. you know, the hand of the Lord is not too short to save. Yes. Amen. And, and your story demonstrates that who you amen. are and who you, who you become, you're beautiful inside and out. And I just Aww. really thank you. And I encourage you and I bless you and, and thank you so much, my, my, my dear sister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right back at you, my brother. My brother from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my friend. You, you take care.